Hello and welcome. You are listening to the teaching ministry of Coastal Oaks Church in Rockport, Texas. It is our hope that you will be encouraged and that your desire to follow Jesus Christ will be challenged and strengthened as you listen to this podcast. For more information on location, service times, and what to expect on your next visit, go to coastaloakschurch.org. Now grab your Bible and study along with us as you listen. Deuteronomy chapter 6. If you have your Bible, please take it out and open that. If not, perhaps it's on your phone. We get to chapter 6, having come through 4 and also 5. Chapter 5 is where Moses repeats the Ten Commandments for this new generation of Israel. And specifically looking at verse 7, where the first says, Do not have other gods besides me. He is the Lord. He took Israel out of Egypt. He is unique, and he is one, and he is to be the only one for Israel. In some business and media transactions, contracts, there is what's known as the exclusivity clause. And that clause simply means that in light of that agreement, of that contract, that there can be no competing relationships, no competing loyalties, no competing contractual obligations, and that's exactly what we find with God. Although this is not a contract, but rather a covenant, which is different, but God calls for that in that first commandment, is the exclusivity as to who he is going to be in our lives, that he alone is God. And for Israel, that was his, his calling, that was his law. Um, our God does not welcome competition, and that's pretty clear from what Deuteronomy has told us, what he has told us in his word. So if you have your Bible again, would you stand with me as I read from Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 1 through 9, and we'll see what that looks like for Israel and for us. What does that mean every day for our life? This is the command, the statutes and ordinances. The Lord your God has commanded me to teach you so that you may follow them in the land you are about to enter and possess. Do this so that you may fear the Lord your God all the days of your life by keeping all his statutes and commands that I'm giving you, your son and your grandson, so that you may have a long life. Listen, Israel, and be careful to follow them so that you may prosper and multiply greatly. Because the Lord, the God of your fathers, has promised you a land flowing with milk and honey. Listen, Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. These words that I am giving you today are to be in your heart. Repeat them to your children. Talk about them when you sit down, excuse me, when you sit in your house and when... Uh, when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Bind them as a sign on your hand and let them be a symbol on your forehead. Write them on the doorpost of your house and on your city gates. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for, for this command to love you with all that we are. Lord, we confess this morning that often we do not. Um, and in that, Father, we confess and we, we repent. 
Lord, that we are called in Christ the very words of Jesus himself is the greatest commandment to love you, to set you apart as the most important in our life. Father, where we fall short this morning in that, would you reveal to us, Father, that that conviction would fall upon us, but also to know that in that conviction, there is grace and mercy waiting. As we confess, we turn our eyes back to you and turn our hearts back to you. Father, and for the things that have taken our attention, the shiny things of the world that have caught our eye, Lord, we pray that they would be gone. We call those idols. They have come before you. By your grace and mercy, there is forgiveness and a new song of praise for the work that you are doing in our life. Father, what we do not know, teach us from your word this morning. What we are not yet, make us for your glory and our good. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, church. You may be seated. At the beginning of a, of a televised a game, whether it be football or baseball or basketball, if you somehow for some reason watch the NBA still. Um, Spurs aren't in it, so I don't really care. Um, you know, I always enjoyed when the Spurs were winning because it was free coffee at Valero in the playoffs. Can I get an amen? Uh, but we're not doing that so much anymore. So anyway, but the commentator will always give us his wisdom and his keys to victory for whatever team we might be watching. And they uh, expound on all of their reasons why this team must do A, B, and C, or, or uh, one through five things to, uh, to get, you know, they're, they're really important things like don't fumble the ball. Oh, wow, it's earth-shattering, life-changing truth there in the game of football, right? Uh, but it, sometimes they're right, sometimes the game just goes a different way. But it's a checklist of Keys to victory. What we find in Deuteronomy chapter 6 is that as Moses comes out of the, the speech of chapter 5, the giving of the Ten Commandments again to this new generation that is set and ready to go into the promised land that is flowing with milk and honey, here is the key, these are the keys to victory. This is exactly how you will relate to God, and this is how God will relate to you, and this is how you are to relate to one another. This is how you are to have fellowship with God and community with God and to be in a relationship with God, to have a heart that is set apart to him and to none other. And verses one through three of chapter six is like that. This is the key. God says through Moses, follow the statutes, follow the ordinances. This is the command. This is the key. And if Israel will do that thing, Verse 3 says that they would prosper and multiply greatly because the Lord, the God of their fathers, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, had promised the land that was flowing with milk and honey. God will make it happen. His intent, God's intent here was to bless Israel as they would follow and obey uh, the, the commandments, but also just by setting God apart in their heart. That a heart that of uh, following in obedience is a heart that obviously will trust God's promises and trust God himself and trust his word. 
It reminds me of Jesus' teaching in the Gospel of Matthew chapter 7. Right after the Sermon on the Mount, uh, there is this great little illustration that Jesus gives. Now, he's given three chapters of, of amazing, biblical, God-centered truth, uh, like seek first the kingdom of God and all these things will be added unto you. Like, it's just a beautiful, and excuse me, I, I left out his righteousness there in that verse, but it, it's a beautiful story uh, starting with the Beatitudes. And at the end of that sermon, Jesus gives us this image. He says, anyone or everyone who hears these words of mine and acts on them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And he compares the wise man to the foolish man who heard what he was saying, but didn't listen and didn't build his house on the rock. Rather, he built his house on the sand. The storm came, same storm, same strength, same intensity. The house on the sand is destroyed. The house on the rock stands firm. When we listen to what God says and has called us to, and we put it into action, we're like that wise man who heard the word of God and acted on the word of God. Friends, God has provided his blueprint. He has provided his keys to victory in the scriptures, his plans, his rules of the game, his parameters. And, and what we read in the text is, is the course that is marked out. We don't have to, to try to find it out there. It's all contained in his word. And, and there's no surprise along the way. He doesn't throw something in last minute. And so the question to settle in your heart as we look into, verse, uh, into chapter 6, especially verses 4 and 5 this morning, is do you trust God? Anytime we come to the scripture, we need to think of this. Do I trust God and do I trust his word? There are lots of competitors out there that want to take the place of God's word. There's lots of competition out there that would try to dismantle his word. But his word has always been true. His word will always be true. And it is the source of truth for us in following Jesus. And even for those outside of following Jesus, it doesn't stop that this word is true. It will always be true. So do you trust God and do you trust the word of God? Because what you believe about his word matters. It matters. Truth comes from scripture. We don't take what we think is right or what the world is telling us is right and bring what the world says is true to the scripture until we find something that matches. See, oh, what the world is saying must be true. No, the world's truth will always stand contrary to the word of God, always. Okay, you see it in the garden. God says, don't eat from that tree. The serpent says, you know, his, his crafty ways, Satan himself, our adversary, he's the, the prince of the world, right? He's got, he's ro roaming around seeking anyone to, to devour. And so he's out there and the world says he didn't really mean that. That's exactly, it's what it boils down to. God said this, the world says he didn't really mean that. He didn't mean it that way. And so we have to come to the word of God and we find in this word the truth that scripture interprets scripture. And in the text this morning, Jesus knew that verses four and five were key to answering that scribe's question when he said, what's the greatest commandment? And when Jesus was asked what the greatest commandment was, he responded by saying, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. That is is what it is to set him apart in our life. This is God's call. His key to victory, his key to following him in this life is to set him apart in our lives as most important. Not one among many other things or other idols or gods or loves, but to have him set apart as God alone with my heart's affection directed toward him. And that greatest commandment 
means total commitment. It's a call to Israel for total commitment. Look again at verses four and five. Listen, Israel. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. What a great and amazing confessional statement by Moses to Israel and command that we too can claim today. What we're reading is commonly known to Jews as, even modern Jews, as the Shema. It just simply means to hear. To hear, O Israel. It's the first phrase of verse four. Hear, O Israel. Listen, Israel. It's repeated often throughout the day. They'll, they'll repeat it to themselves as a reminder of the seriousness of this command. To hear with the intent to obey. Husbands, come on now, be honest. Your wife's talking to you. She asks you to do something. You don't do it. Were you listening with the intent to obey? I mean, you could hear her talking, right? (laughs) But you didn't do what she asked you to do. Children, my kids do that all the time. They hear what I'm saying. Did you hear me? And Well, yeah, but you're not doing what I ask you to do. So you weren't listening with the intent to obey. There's a difference there. We hear things all the time, but to listen and to hear with the intent to obey what is said. So if you don't put this into play, if you don't take action on what God is saying here to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, if you don't put that into action, then you did not hear him. But it's a call to hear and listen to what he is saying. That statement, this statement, this truth, sets in place that the Lord our God, the Lord is one. He's not one of many. He is one. He is unique in that. We can look at that a couple of different ways. The Lord our God, the Lord is one, is that that God was to be Israel's only object and focus of worship. Their only place of allegiance and the only place to send and direct their affection. There is no other God beside him. And that that goes back to that commandment that we read just a moment ago out of chapter 5 in Exodus 20. No other gods before me or besides me. It also points to God's uniqueness. He is the only one, but he is also unique in that he is God alone. And the danger for Israel and the dangers for us too is that we'll allow room for other gods to come in. Well, God is number one, yeah. But two, three, and four will always be in competition to unseat number one. It's a danger. Israel was constantly under that threat and constantly gave in to that threat. But the Israelites, by giving in to that threat, would deny this statement. We can say, I love God with all of my heart, with all of my being, with all of my strength, and yet if my life does not reflect that, I'm lying. We understand that this is the view of Jesus. He had his heart set on his Father, that he would do exactly as the Father said. And so in several times, especially John chapter 14, the disciples, he's having this conversation with his disciples, and he's like, what do you mean? What are you talking about? You haven't seen the Father. The one who, if you have seen me, you have seen the Father. Jesus got in trouble for saying that, but that was the truth. If you've seen me, you can, you, you've seen the Father. And, and he says, how can you say, show us the Father? Because I and the Father are one. He would be crucified for that. He'd be accused of blasphemy for that. But it was true. 
The command, of course, we find in verse 5. Warren Wiersbe, in, in his study on this, uh, on this chapter, posed a great question, and I'll, I'll give it to you. And, and he asked, is it possible to command somebody to love? Is it possible to command somebody to love? And he goes on to say, isn't love a mysterious thing that just appears, a, a wonderful emotion that's either there or it isn't? Kind of sounds touchy-feely, right? Like, we get all wrapped up in our feelings. Sometimes you see, oh, uh, it's all up in, in the fields today. I'm like, I don't even know what that means. It's not good English. But we get wrapped up in feelings. Somebody wrote a song, uh, feelings, nothing more than feelings. This is why I don't ever get a solo in a choir. I'm just kidding. I'm not asking for one. This is how we see love. This is how we see the tearing apart of what marriage is. Love who you want to love. God had it pretty much designed it the way he wanted it, like there's no room for gray there. Love, love is an act of the will. In Scripture, when we look at Scripture, this is one of those moments where we think, okay, we can, we can define love how the world does, or we can look at how Scripture defines it. What's going to be true for us? Love God. Love is an act of the will. It's a choice we make. It's a sacrificial choice. This is the love that Christ displayed for us at the cross. This is the kind of love and how we are to relate to one another as brothers and sisters in the church, but it's also how we are to relate to one another as husband and wife in that marriage relationship. Love is, a, is an act of the will. The Bible says that we love him because he first loved us. He showed that love for us. He proved his love for us in that while we were yet sinners, he died for us. That's Romans 5.8. That's probably one of the strongest verses on that subject. God proved his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. While we were still ugly and sin and dead in our sins, Christ died for us and made us alive with him in Christ Jesus, Ephesians chapter 2. So the command given here sums up the law, sums up the Ten Commandments. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. Essentially, with all God has created you to be. The heart is the, in the Hebrew language is the seat of the mind and the will. This is what it means to be totally committed to the I am, to, to Yahweh and no other God. The heart, the seat of the mind and the will, the soul, it, it seems to point to our, our source of life, our inner being. And then our strength is that how we use the gifts and abilities that he has provided and, and pushing that forward. Every single day we wake up and we must choose the Lord. That we choose to love him by trusting him, by believing him, by depending on him, for looking to him for help in times of trouble and worshiping him in the good and in the bad, in truth and in spirit. It's so important as Jesus would answer that question to the scribe as to which commandment of the greatest is captured in all three synoptic gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, that Jesus is included answering this question, pointing that young scribe to this answer, love God with all that you are. And he went on to show and display that love for us. Not only are we to love God, but there's another uh, command here that he gives us in verse six. These words that I'm giving you today are to be in your heart. Excuse me, verse seven, repeat them to your children. Talk about them when you sit in your house, when you walk along the road, and when you lie down, and when you get up. We've got to teach this command. Not only are they to set apart God alone in their hearts, but they're commanded to keep the word by teaching the word and keeping it in their hearts. 
Better in the heart than on stone tablets. Better in the heart than in stone tablets. The psalmist says, I have hidden your word on stone tablets that I might not sin against you. That's not what he said, is it? Where did he hide his word? Where did he hide the word of God? Where? On his heart. I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. They are to teach these truths to their children when you sit down, when you're out on the road, when you lie down, when you get up. Basically, total commitment means it's a constant topic of conversation in your home and in your family. Students, the best advice I give you today is you go to college, you're going to be tested. You got in the workforce, you're going to be tested. You're going to be tested beyond anything you've ever been tested before. You're going to have a grumpy old professor who's an atheist and an agnostic And you may be teetering on either side of that, but I'm telling you, if you'll set Christ alone in your heart and love him with all that you are, you will keep walking that straight and narrow road, but you must choose him every single day. Love the Lord your God. Love the Lord your God. Total commitment. Moses gives an example of what it would look like if one of your kids were to ask you in verse 20, your son asks you in the future, what is the meaning of the decrees and statutes and ordinances? Here's what you reply. You tell him, We were slaves of Pharaoh in Egypt, but the Lord brought us out of Egypt with a strong hand before our eyes. The Lord inflicted great and devastating signs and wonders on Egypt, on Pharaoh and all his household. But he brought us from there in order to lead us in and give us the land that he swore to our fathers. The the Lord commanded us to follow all of these statutes and to fear the Lord our God for our prosperity always and for our preservation as it is today. Righteousness will be ours if we, if we are careful to follow every one of these commands before the Lord our God as he has commanded us. That's what Israel would say. What would I say? I would say I was a sinner and God freed me from that when he called me in Christ and I responded by faith and I confessed my sin and repented and turned my heart to Jesus. I was a slave to sin I was dead in my transgressions and in my sin, and yet Christ made me alive with him through the power of the cross and the resurrection. Our story may not be one of being slaves out of Egypt like Israel, but our story is one like Israel in that we were slaves to sin, and Christ has freed us. That is our story. That is why we love the Lord our God. That is why we serve him with total commitment. We remember the things that God has done in our life. Look at verse 10. It's important as we obey and we love the Lord our God with all that we are. Verse 10, he says, when the Lord your God brings you into the land, he swore to your fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, a land with large and beautiful cities, notice that you did not build, houses full of every good thing that you did not fill them with cisterns that you did not dig, and vineyards and olive groves that you did not plant. And when you eat and are satisfied, be careful not to forget the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the place of slavery. Fear the Lord your God. Worship him. Take your oaths in his name. Don't, allow, don't follow other gods and the gods of the people around you. Listen to what God has done. Notice when things get good, when things are, are going well, We get distracted, beautiful cities, houses full of every good thing, cisterns full, vineyards, olive groves, all of these things are great for Israel. And he says, by the way, none of which you had a hand in doing. Don't forget what God has done. Don't forget his grace. 
There's a strong warning here for the Western church, especially those who reside in what used to be known as the Bible Belt, for we've grown comfortable. And in our comfort, we have grown lazy. And we have let other things come in and take our view and our focus off of the Lord. We have fallen short in discipleship. We have fallen short in evangelism. And when that happens, when we take our eyes off of what is outside and worried and praying, trying to bring the lost to Christ, we start focusing inward. And when when the eyes of the church shift inward, we have taken our eyes off of Christ and the calling upon our lives. We start loving ourselves more than we love him. But when we set our, our heart when we set our love to God and he is set apart in our heart and our soul and, and, and we're loving him with all of our strength, then we will remember. We will walk in obedience because obedience keeps you in that place when you're walking with the Lord. If you are following him in obedience, you're not gonna go, there, there's very little room to go astray. You set God apart in your heart, soul, and you're loving him with all his strength, you'll remember him because obedience will keep you in that place. And the danger comes when it creeps in unaware. Jude chapter one, there's only one little chapter of Jude, but verse four in that short letter reminds us that our enemy and our adversary is crafty and he comes in by stealth. Friends, we have to be watchful that we don't take credit for what God is doing because it is his doing. It is his doing. So what does it look like to love God? How, How does that happen? Go to chapter 30 of Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy chapter 30, starting in verse 11. Now, working into chapter 30, he's given some more warnings. Here's what happens when you stray. This is what you do. But in in verse 11, he kind of begins to sum everything up because uh, Joshua is about to take Moses' place in leadership to lead the people in because Moses doesn't get to go to the promised land. But here here is what he... He says, this command that I give you today is certainly not too difficult or beyond your reach. I mean, 10, 10 commandments. Y'all, it doesn't get a whole lot easier than that, right? Well, we all know. This is the command I give you. It's not in heaven so that you have to ask who's gonna go up to heaven, right? That'd be impossible. It's not across the sea so that you have to ask Who will cross the sea to get it for us and proclaim it to us so that we may follow it? You can imagine back then, they didn't have big cruise ships. They didn't have jet jet planes that fly across the ocean in in a matter of hours. You can be on the other side of the world in in eight to 10 hours. I mean, that wasn't the case. That's That's months, months of journeying. Who will go that far to get it for us? No. But the message is very near you in your mouth and in your heart so that you may follow it. See, today I have set before you life and prosperity, death and adversity. Verse 16, for I am commanding you today to love the Lord your God, to walk in his ways and to keep his commands, statutes and ordinances so that you may live and multiply and the Lord your God may bless you in the land you are entering to possess. But if your heart turns away and you do not listen and you are led astray to bow and worship to other gods and serve them, I tell you today that you will certainly perish and will not prolong your days in the land that you are entering to possess across the Jordan. I call heaven and earth as witnesses against you today that I have set before you life and death, blessing and curse. All right, here it is, folks. God has given us our options. 
You got life or death, blessing or curse. He's told you. It can't be any simpler than this. Love God or love some other gods, choose. Joshua's gonna say something very similar. In a couple of weeks, we'll get there at the end of Joshua. But in verse 19, he says, choose life so that you and your descendants may live, love the Lord your God, obey him, and remain faithful to him, for he is your life. He is the one that will prolong your days. Not some other God, not some other philosophy, not some other truth that's out there. Him. Choose life. Choose him. And by choosing life, you are choosing God himself. His keys to victory are accessible. The message is near you. It's close at hand. It's it's so close that it hits your heart and goes to your head and is lived out by your hands. God has set the course out before his people. Hear the command, love the Lord your God, walk in his ways, keep his commands. There is life in that. Choose life. Choose him. Choose to trust in his grace. Set your heart apart for him. Paul would reference this chapter in Romans chapter 10, and it applies to us today. He says this. Brothers and sisters, my heart's desire and prayer to God concerning them, he's talking about Israel, Jews, is for their salvation. We can see there, though, it would certainly apply to anyone who's outside of Christ. I can testify about them that they have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. They have a passion for God, but they don't know what they're passionate for. They don't know him. They don't have that relationship. So they're ignorant of the righteousness of God, and they attempted to establish their own righteousness. That's their good works. They're trying to live the right way in order to please God. They have not submitted to God's righteousness. Well, how do we submit to God's righteousness? Well, he goes on to say, Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. Christ is the righteousness we need. That's his grace and his mercy. When we believe and trust in him, we receive that. It is gifted to us. Verse five, Moses writes about the righteousness. He says, the one who does these things will live by them, but the righteousness that comes from faith speaks like this. Don't say in your heart who's gonna go out. How do we get this? How do we get this righteousness? How do, how do, we, how do we get there? Who will go up to heaven? That is to bring Christ down. Who will go down into the abyss? That is to bring Christ up from the dead. On the contrary, it says, the message is near to you in your mouth and in your heart. This is the message of faith that we proclaim. That if you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. The Bible says, friends, you will be saved. One believes with the heart resulting in righteousness. One confesses with the mouth resulting in salvation. And he goes on to say, everyone who believes on him will not be put to shame. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Friends, to choose life, to choose God himself is to trust in Christ, to be established in Christ, to trust Christ is to love God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your strength. His grace is not performance-based. His grace is free to you. And he's saying today, choose life. Choose to trust him. Choose to love him with all that you are. And sometimes, as Christ followers, we 
as we're called to love God with all that we are, well, sometimes we get in a place where we want to put a no-fly zone around our heart. You know what a no-fly zone is, right? A, where an uninvited aircraft would in, invade the no-fly zone. He'll either be forced out, or if it's the United States Air Force or Navy enforcing that no-fly zone, they're probably going to get shot down. Sometimes we put a no-fly zone for God over our hearts or parts of our lives where we say, no, thank you, God. I don't want that. You can have this part of my life, but not that part. You can have an hour and a half on Sunday, but the rest of the week is mine. Friends, you are loved by God. He invites you to know him by trusting in Jesus Christ. He invites you to choose life. And in choosing life, you choose him. God himself. And in Christ, you come to life. And you take that, that, that step of faith and trusting in Christ, and then we're called to keep in step with the Spirit, and that daily we keep loving God, that you and I need to seek first his kingdom. First, foremost, exclusively seeking his kingdom. And as we do that, we commit to that. We say, yes, today I'm going to begin this journey of loving God with all of my heart, with all of my soul, with all of my strength. It's not just a one-time commitment. There's a daily commitment in this. Friends, if shepherd David and eventually King David, who was known as a man after God's own heart, would have to pray, renew a steadfast spirit within me, what makes us think that we could do any less? Renew a steadfast spirit within me. We are called to choose life, to love God with all of our heart, soul, and strength. Let's see how we can do this. How can we renew daily our heart? One, we understand where the heart is. In Matthew chapter 13, Jesus teaching here said the people's hearts have grown callous their ears are hard of hearing they have shut their eyes otherwise they might see with their eyes hear with their ears and understand with their hearts and turn back and I would heal them they had grown callous they had grown callous in their hearts and grown hard because they refused to love God and rather than loving God they were trying to to reach their own level of righteousness in their own effort but friend that can't be done you will not do enough to please God in and of yourself. You've got to trust in Christ. The Pharisees, the theologians of Jesus' day, expanded the law so much and made it even harder for the common folk to try to, to, try to live by that standard. But the opposite, I find, is true today in the church where we water down the holiness of God, thinking that our sinful choices must be okay, that we can keep on going, living in them because of grace, that now grace is a license to sin. But grace is not a license to sin because what's in the heart is what defiles the man or the woman. That's where we have to look. What's in here? What's in the heart? How do we find renewal here each and every day? Because you can walk out this morning saying, by golly, I'm going to love God with all of my heart, soul, and mind and strength today. But what happens tomorrow? If you don't set out tomorrow to renew this commitment, tomorrow you're going to be back where you were. 
So Paul tells us in Philippians 4, don't worry about anything but in everything through prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your requests to God and the peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Friends, that renewal, daily renewal begins by setting time apart to pray. Oh, that's earth shattering, right? It's kind of like football. Don't fumble the ball. Well, don't forget to pray. Hello? Like, sometimes following Jesus is just so elementary. It's like so simple. And yet we're like, it must be some kind of big profound thing I've got to do to follow Jesus. No, just pray. Pray. Spend time with the Lord in prayer. And, and Paul continues in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 16. Therefore, we don't give up. Even though our outer person is being destroyed, our inner person is being renewed day by day. We are spending time with the Lord. The heart is renewed by Christ, in Christ, daily. We repent and find renewal. Repentance, friends, begins with acknowledging that we deserve God's judgment, and yet in his grace and his mercy, he withholds that, and we declare, God, we need your grace and mercy. That is a heart that is set apart for God and seeking the heart of God, the heart that loves God, loves God, and lives in that grace and mercy. Now, what about the soul? There are so many idols this world clings to, looks to. There are so many competing voices telling us we need this, we need that, we need this, we need that. Wealth, power, comfort, consistency, good health, good prices on fuel, yeah, all these things. And as Christ's followers, God calls us to live different. Because when we're totally committed to loving God, he calls us to let go of our tightly held desires, our, our longings, to keep nothing for ourselves but give all of ourselves to him. It's a daily giving away. 1 Thessalonians 5, 23 and 24 says, May the God of peace himself sanctify you completely, and may your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept sound and blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus. He who calls you is faithful. He will do it. Back up to Philippians chapter 4. When we pray, we give our anxious thoughts, we give those things to the Lord, what is received, but the peace of God that surpasses all understanding and that peace will guard our hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Now, what Paul says in 1 Thessalonians, may the God of peace himself sanctify you. Friends, there is the key again to the renewal of your soul is spending time with the Lord in prayer. The God of peace, the one who gives peace beyond understanding, he will guard your hearts in Christ Jesus. Jesus, he is the one who will renew your spirit and your soul and even that old body because one day we're going to get a brand new and that doesn't hurt anymore, amen? And blameless, may he keep you blameless because he is the one who's faithful. He will do it. Strength, Isaiah chapter 40, verse 31. That's gotta be a no-brainer. But those who trust in the Lord will renew their strength. Trusting God is the source of where we find the renewal daily for strength. When times are good, humility is required because they're not good because of us. They're good because of his blessings. God is the reason for the good. And so we rejoice in that and we find time of renewal of our strength as we trust him. And when times are bad, well, friends, the Bible says that his strength is made perfect in our weakness. 
Still, humility is required. Paul would say, I know how to do, I know how to make do with little. I know how to make do with a lot. In any and all circumstances, I have learned the secret of being content, whether well-fed or hungry, in abundance or in need. I am able to do all things through him, that is Christ, who strengthens me. The renewal of our strength daily comes from Christ Jesus, our Lord. One of the gospel uh, writers uh, includes the mind in this list, to love God with all of your mind. Friends, God didn't make you dumb. We are not stupid people. He gave us intellect. He gave us a mind to think and to dwell on him in his presence. He gave us the ability to write and to speak and to sing and to create. I mean, look around. God has given us so much. He's given us an incredible gift in our mind. Friends, use it for his glory. Use it for his glory. Paul says, don't be conformed to this age, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. He tells the Philippians, here's how you do it. Whatever is true, honorable, just, pure, lovely, commendable, if there's any moral excellence, if there's anything praiseworthy, dwell on these things. Set your mind on those things. Set your mind on the love of God. Warren Wiersbe again asked if it is possible to command someone to love. Well, yes, because God commanded us to love him. So it is possible. But friends, it wasn't just a command. He took action on his command by showing us how to love. He proved his love for us. Jesus said the most important truth was to love God with all that we are, and then he showed us at the cross and that while we were still sinners, He died for us. Friends, we love him. We love him because love consists of this. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the atoning sacrifice, the propitiation for our sins. That's a big word, but it means the sacrifice that bears God's wrath and turns it to favor. That's exactly what Christ did for us at the cross. That forgiveness of sin comes only to those who repent and believe the gospel. If you are in a place today and you will admit and confess, I need to believe the gospel of Jesus. I need to believe in Jesus Christ. The Bible is clear. You believe in your heart, God raised him from the dead and confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, you will be saved. Setting apart God, God alone. In Christ, in Christ alone. By grace alone, through faith alone. Would you make that commitment today? Christian, if you can confess and admit this morning, you know what? I have not loved God every day this week like I should. Beautiful story of the gospel is that there is time of repentance and there is always renewal when we come back to him.